God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the Holy Ghost that's here within us and among us. We thank you for unveiling the word of God to our hearts, Father, in a new way. Help us to see things that we thought we already knew. Reveal to us things that we thought we already saw. We thank you, Father, for the anointing of the Spirit of God to reveal to us who we are and what you've done for us by your precious Son. We thank you, Father, for doing great things in us and through us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, you may be seated. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 145. I want to build on some things that we talked last week. We're in a series uh, entitled Healing Belongs to Us. And last Sunday morning, we taught on the mercy of the Lord. How many of you were with us last Sunday morning? About half the crowd, maybe a little bit more than half the crowd. Um, I want to build on, uh, if you weren't here last Sunday morning, I want to encourage you to listen to the CD or podcast or however you get a hold of service tapes uh, or services. Because there are some things that, that I believe that the Lord wants to emphasize, especially for us, about the mercy of the Lord. Now, the reason I say especially for us is because we're known as sticklers for the word. I believe you ought to have a Bible foundation, a scriptural foundation for everything that you do. But there's a, well, there's a ditch on both sides of every road. And you can become so word conscious that the subject of faith and the principle of healing becomes a rule of law rather than just a recognition of God's love and demonstration of that love toward us. So I would want to challenge you, and I I hope this morning is a beginning point for this. I want to challenge you not only to believe and have faith in the truth of the word and what belongs to us, but develop faith in his mercy. Because everything God has ever done for us is due to his mercy. I want to challenge you to resist the temptation to turn faith into a set of rules and rituals and instead recognize and always keep in mind that it's a relationship with God. Psalm 145 verse 8, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. Now, we talked a little bit last week, and we want to reiterate the fact that uh, in both the Hebrew and the Greek, the Hebrew of the Old Testament and the Greek of the New Testament, the word mercy and compassion are both nearly identical. There are times where the same word will be translated mercy in one place. It will be translated compassion in another place. But there are different words that are used for mercy and compassion, but they mean identically the same thing. As a matter of fact, in uh, Strong's Concordance, it brings out that the uh, uh, one of the definitions for mercy is to have compassion. One of the definitions of compassion is to be merciful. These words literally mean to be full of eager yearning, to love tenderly. To love tenderly or to be full of eager yearning is what, lo- is what mercy and compassion means. Now, here it says in chapter, uh, in Psalm 145 and verse 8, it says the Lord is gracious. The word gracious means disposed to show favors. It says it's the nature of God to give. For God so loved that he gave. It is the nature of God to give, not to withhold. The Lord is gracious, disposed to show favors, and full of compassion. If you're full of something, there's no room for anything else. He's not full of anger. He's full of compassion, tender love, eager yearning. He is slow to anger. Thank God for that. Slow to anger and of great mercy. Notice in verse 9 it says, the Lord is good to a few. No, it says the Lord is good to all. And his tender mercies are over a few of his works. No, his tender mercies are over all of his works. That means everything God has ever done has been according to his mercy. 
Everything that God has ever done, everything God ever will do is according to his mercy. Now turn with me over to Mark chapter 1. We want to look at some things that we looked at last week, but as I said, we want to go a little bit further. I want you to see one of the healings in Jesus' ministry. One of the most significant events that ever took place while he was here on the earth, revealing the will of the Father. Beginning in verse 40 of Mark chapter 1, it says, And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If you will, you can make me clean. If you will, you can make me clean. Now, I've said this before, but it bears repetition. I believe that this man represents the majority of the church world's attitude toward God. You're not going to find many Christians anywhere that say that God cannot do anything. All things are possible with God. He is all-powerful. God can do anything. But they don't know if he will. They don't know what God will do. They believe that he can do. And let me tell you this. It takes no faith whatsoever to believe God can do something. None whatsoever. And notice while this man is believing that God can, Jesus, the word made flesh, the son of God here on the earth. While this man believes that Jesus can heal him, he's not healed. It's not the belief that he can do something that brings it into reality for you. Notice what Jesus did. Jesus responded, and if this is Jesus revealing the Father to us, and this means this is God's attitude then and God's attitude now towards those who believe that he can but don't know if he will heal. And Jesus moves with compassion, tender love, eager yearning. Moves with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and said unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. T.L. Osborne pointed out in uh, talking about ministering in in other countries, other nations of the world, he said in, in Latin countries, he said the word will, talking about the will of man, does not translate. He said you can try to explain it, you can try to define it, and it just does not translate in the Latin American languages. He said the closest you can get to it for people to understand is to change the word to want. He said, and he talked about how they had preached this hundreds of times in Latin American countries, that the leper came to him and said to him, if you want to, you can heal me. If you want to, You can heal me. And Jesus moved with compassion, said, I want to. Well, isn't that what to be full of eager yearning would mean? God wants to heal you. God wanted to heal this leper. Jesus was moved with compassion, eager yearning, and said, yeah, I want to. Now, this guy changed the course of Jesus' ministry. I want you to see how. Jesus moved with compassion, reached forth his hand, and touched him and said, I want to be thou clean. Now, if Jesus wanted to heal this guy, and God is no respecter of persons, and God never changes, what foundation or what basis do any of us have to say, any part of the church world today or at any time, what foundation would they have to say that God doesn't want to heal people today? If God wanted to heal this man, but doesn't want to heal everybody today, then we've got some verses of Scripture we're going to have to tear out of the Bible. One we just read, the Lord isn't good to all then. We'd have to change that to the Lord's good to a few. Isn't that right? Well, what will have changed? Notice it was mercy that caused Jesus to say he wanted to. Has the mercy of God changed? The Bible says over and over again that the Lord never, that the mercy of the Lord endures forever. So where does the modern day church get the idea that God doesn't want to heal everybody? Jesus said he wanted to heal this man. What was special about him? 
The Bible says the Lord is good to all. And his tender mercies are over all of his works. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. And he straightly charged him and forthwith sent him away and said unto him, See thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way. Show thyself to the priest. Keep the law of Moses, in other words. And offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Notice verse 45. Here's what changed Jesus' ministry. But the man went out and began to publish it much. And to blaze abroad. I love that phrase. And to blaze abroad the matter. Insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city. But was without in the desert places. And they came to him from every quarter. This man changed the course of Jesus' ministry. He dictated where Jesus was able to go and where he couldn't go. All because he published and began to blaze abroad the matter of the Lord's mercy and compassion unto him. Now, folks, I've said it before, but I'll say it again. I believe that this is the way that the church is supposed to grow. When we begin to publish... And make known the mercy of the Lord to deliver and to heal. People will come from every quarter. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. Let's look at another example of the mercy of the Lord. Verse 29. And as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. Notice they're asking for mercy. And the multitude rebuked them because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, or the louder, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. They weren't going to be dissuaded by the crowd from asking God for mercy. And Jesus stood still and called them and said unto them, What will ye that I shall do unto you? What kind of mercy do you want? What do you mean by have mercy on me? And they said unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. Notice they understood that blind eyes being healed or opened was a mercy of the Lord. And Jesus responded and said, No, I'm sorry. Mercy is just for salvation. And it says, so Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. When he had compassion, that means he wanted to heal them. He was full of eager yearning. Their call for mercy touched the heart of the Son of God who was here on the earth to reveal the will of God the Father unto us. And their eyes were opened. Healing is a mercy of God, and the Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all of his works. Turn with me now to Mark chapter 5. We won't read the whole story, but it tells us about the gathering demoniac, the man that was possessed with the devil and had the legion. Jesus cast the devil out of him. And it says, uh, well, let's start in verse 15. It says, and they came to Jesus, talking about the people of that area. They came to Jesus. He's in the the region of Decapolis. They came to Jesus and saw him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And And they that saw it told him how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. You remember the evil spirits went out into the of the man and into the swine. And then they ran down the steep place into the sea and choked themselves. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. Now I want you to notice this. Here's the attitude of the people after this man gets delivered. Jesus, you've got to go away. A lot of people are afraid of the power of God. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And when he was come into the ship... He that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. He wants to go with Jesus. I don't blame him. 
Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but said unto him, Go home to your friends, and tell them how great things the Lord has done for thee, and has had compassion on thee. So Jesus identifies why this has happened, why this deliverance took place, why this man was set free. Because Jesus wanted to. He was full of eager yearning. He had compassion on him. The compassion that endures forever. The mercy that never comes to an end. And he departed, verse 20. <clears throat> he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him and all men did marvel. Now I want to read to you from Matthew chapter 15. Because it tells us the next time Jesus was in the region of Decapolis. Here's what happened. Here's what he found. Here's what changed in that area after the man began to publish the compassion of the Lord and the results of his deliverance. Verse 29, and Jesus departed from thence and came nigh unto the sea of Galilee and went up into a mountain and sat there. This is the same mountain that the swine ran down the steep place into the sea from. And great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. Insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to behold, the lame to walk, and the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. Now, folks, I would submit to you, and you don't take my word for this, you check this out, but you'll never find another place in the four Gospels where the Bible identifies specifically the miracles of the maimed being made whole, the blind coming to sight, the lame being able to walk and so forth in the same magnitude that it indicates in this case. And notice the change in the region. This was the place where the people came together and saw the man that was delivered from the power of the devil and said, Jesus, you've got to leave here. The next time Jesus comes back, they're gathering the sick from every quarter, from the whole region. And it doesn't matter whether it's big sick or little sick. Doesn't matter if it's a minor case or a major case of sickness or disease or the effects of the sickness and disease that have caused people to be maimed and so forth. They bring them to Jesus and Jesus heals every one of them. Didn't leave one of them out. The Lord is good to all. And his tender mercies are over all of his works. Notice this man changed his region, the place that he lived by publishing making known, spreading the word about the compassion of Jesus to deliver. Let's look at a couple other places as well when we see the compassion of the Lord to heal. Matthew chapter 14. Jesus hears of the beheading of John the Baptist. Verse 13, it says, When Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion, tender love and eager yearning. He was moved with a want to. And he healed their sick. The Lord is good to all. And his tender mercies are over all of his works. Look with me again to Matthew chapter 9. In verse 35 it says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then said he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Well, what does he do? He's moved with compassion. But what action does he take? He's full of eager yearning. He wants to help and meet the needs of the people. He loves them tenderly. But what does he do? Chapter 10 tells us. He called the 12 disciples together. And he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. He commissions them in verse 5 
And part of what he tells them in verse 8 is heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. The tender love that God had on that, that Jesus had on that multitude spurred him to delegate healing power, delivering power to the twelve and send them out to do the same work that he's doing. Why? Because Jesus had compassion on them. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all of his works. Now, I want to point out to you, and I made this statement last week. If you were here, you may remember. The Bible says that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. As such, we've established several different examples. I think I gave you four, and there are others that we could use as well. Of Jesus being moved with compassion and the result was healing for the physical body. So we could establish from that a Bible pattern. That compassion triggers the healing power of God. Folks there are 200 scriptures. Old Testament and New Testament. 200 scriptures. That talk about the mercy of God and the man. There are 43 specifically that identifies the mercy of the Lord endures forever. To conclude in any way whatsoever that the mercy of the Lord is different today than it was when Jesus was here on the earth or that the healing mercy of God is different today than it was in the old covenant when the children of Israel had promises not only to be healed but for God to take sickness away from the midst of them. To conclude that that mercy has changed in any way whatsoever violates tons of scripture. Yet when you talk about mercy today in the modern day church, everybody accepts that the mercy of the Lord is available to forgive sin. But that's as far as it goes. The mercy of the Lord healed the sick in Jesus' day. The mercy of the Lord through Jesus' ministry, which was designed to reveal the will of the Father, the never-changing, never-ending will of the Father, the attitude of God who never changes and cannot change, revealed to us that the mercy of the Lord healed the sick. Let's look at a couple of these scriptures. You can well understand we can't look at 200 of them. Let's look at a couple of these scriptures. Look with me to Psalm chapter. Let's start in Psalm 25. Verse 10. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. Unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. All the paths. Every work, every action. Every deed of God. Is mercy and truth. Micah chapter 7 and verse 18. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. God delights in mercy. We've already seen that mercy includes healing. God delights in mercy. This means that the thing that makes God happy, the thing that turns him on, is to show mercy to his people. You don't have to talk God into being merciful. It's what satisfies his heart. Second Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. He's the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. God is called the Father of mercies. You may remember the Old Testament story in Second Chronicles chapter 20. 
when Jehoshaphat and the children of Judah are surrounded by the five enemy kings and they proclaim a fast and call upon the Lord, what shall we do about this? And the word of the Lord came came upon someone in the midst of the congregation and said, don't be afraid of these people for the battle is not yours, it's the Lord's. He tells them to go out, where to go out the next morning and to find the enemy. God doesn't want you running from the enemies. He wants you to face him. So he tells him where to find them. And the next day, it says Jehoshaphat reminded the people about the prophecy that came before. He says, believe in the Lord and in the prophets. And so he appointed singers to go in front of the army. Do you remember what they sang? He appointed them to sing, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. They recognized that their victory was an expression, a demonstration of God's mercy. So what did they do? They thanked God for his mercy before anything happened. And the Bible says, and the Lord said ambushments against the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir. And they all began to destroy each other. And by the time the children of Israel came upon the camp, everybody was destroyed. And it took them three days to carry away the goods to spoil the people. They sang, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. They had faith in the mercy of God. We should too. The next one I want to point out to you is in Psalm 23. Most of you can quote this psalm. Many of you can at least. It ends with surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Mercy follows you. The goodness of God and mercy follows you. Now everybody recognizes that Psalm 23 is a type of the day that we live in. Psalm 22 is a type of Jesus fulfilling the work of God on the cross. Psalm 23 is the day of the church, the day that we live in, the day of the new covenant. And Psalm 24 is the millennium period. So in the day that we live in, the psalm that refers to the day that we live in, it says, surely goodness and mercy. Surely, certainly, definitely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Wouldn't that include healing mercy too? Praise God it does. Psalm 33, verse 18, it says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy. Now, over and over again, you're going to see several scriptures that talk about the the mercy of the Lord upon those that fear God. I know the devil way, the way the devil works. He's worked this way on me, and I'm sure he works the same way on all of us. He tries to bring condemnation with, with phrases like that or scriptures like that by trying to point out where we've fallen short or where we're not doing what we should do or whatever to try to make us feel like we're inadequate and disqualified. But there's a different meaning for those that fear the Lord. And I want to point it out to you. As I said, the modern day church recognizes that the mercy of the Lord to save endures forever. The modern day church preaches and has preached for years that there's no sin that's too great for God to forgive. There's no amount of sin that's too great for God to forgive. His mercy is greater than any sin, any action, any behavior, any wrongdoing, right? But the same modern-day church, at least some of it, preaches that God doesn't heal today like he did in the early days of the church. And he certainly doesn't heal like he did in Jesus' day when he was here ministering on the earth. So the mercy of the Lord is not extended toward the physical body like it is toward the spirit in salvation. But folks, think about what that means. The Bible says that Jesus died for us when we were yet in sin, when we were enemies of God. That means the Bible identifies the unsaved as God's enemies. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean they hate God or that they've taken a negative attitude toward him. It just means their spirits are separated because of the bondage of spiritual death. And that makes us God's enemies when we're unsaved. So if the mercy of God to save 
endures forever. There's no sin that's too great. No sin that's too great for God to forgive. No amount of sin that's too great for God to overlook. Then that would mean that the mercy of God is greater toward his enemies than it would be to his children who are seeking healing for the physical body. Is that possible? How is it, therefore, that the mercy of God is extended, according to Scripture, to them that fear him? The unsaved don't fear him. The unsaved don't have any respect to him, toward him. No, where it says the mercy of God is extended toward those that fear him, it means the children of God. It means those that have chosen to serve him and follow him. It means his family. So let me read this again with that understanding. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, his children, in other words. Upon them that hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we hope in thee. Now, I'll remind you of a scripture that doesn't talk about the mercy of God, but you can see how it relates. In Second Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9, I believe it is, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth, seeking those. God is seeking those whom he may show himself strong on their behalf. Now, if the eyes of the Lord are running throughout the earth to seek somebody, looking for somebody for God to show himself strong to, And the Lord's tender mercies are over all of his works. He's looking for somebody to show his mercy unto them. Well, who who does the Bible tell us his eyes are on? Notice verse 18 again. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him. Upon them that hope in his mercy. He's looking for his children. So he can show himself strong on their behalf. Cover them with his mercy. I'm going to read from Psalm 69, verse 16. It says, Hear me, O Lord, for thy loving kindness is good. Turn unto me according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. According to the multitude of thy tender mercies. How big is the multitude? Bigger than we need. The mercy of God is greater than anything we'll have ever have need for. Psalm 86, verse 5, it says, For thou, Lord, thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy. That would mean plenteous in healing, among other things. Plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Not a few, but all. Verse 12 says, I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify thy name forever. For great is thy mercy toward me. We need to develop faith in God's mercy toward us. For great is thy mercy toward me, and thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. Well, that's true for us. He's delivered us from the power of spiritual death. Psalm 103, verse 10, it says, He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For, because as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. That's his children. That's his family. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. How high is the heaven above the earth? You can't measure it. So great. An immeasurable amount. So great is his mercy toward them that fear him. That would have to include healing. Or else we're going to have to change the Bible. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed all of our transgressions from us, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. The word pity means to have mercy. As a father pities or has mercy upon his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. Verse 17, it says, But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, his family. And his righteousness unto children's children. So it tells you two things in this psalm. About the mercy of God. It's too big to measure. And it never comes to an end. 
That would have to include healing mercy too. Psalm 147. Verse 11, it says, the Lord takes pleasure in them that fear him. That's you. Those that have put his word first place in their lives. Made Jesus their Lord and Savior. The Lord takes pleasure in them that fear him. In those that hope in his mercy. Now I want to read to you from Isaiah chapter 30. In verse 18. It says, and therefore will the Lord wait. The word wait means to adhere to. Talking about God adhering to his promises for Israel. Which was a type of the things that belonged to the church. And therefore will the Lord wait or adhere to what he's promised. That he may be gracious, disposed to show favors unto you. And therefore will he, speaking of Jesus, be exalted that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is the God of judgment. Blessed are all that wait for him. This verse of scripture is specifically saying that Jesus is exalted at the right hand of the Father for one purpose. And that is to administer the mercy of God to his people. What's Jesus doing at the right hand of the Father? He's administering the mercy of God. Well, that fits exactly with what Hebrews chapter 2 says. Hebrews chapter 2 tells us about Jesus at the right hand of the Father. Verse 17, it says, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. The two characteristics that the Bible identifies about Jesus now at the right hand of the Father as your high priest is that he's merciful and he's faithful. Full of eager yearning and dependable. Now, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 15. Because when you talk about the mercy of God, especially when people are, are looking for God to heal, them, heal their bodies, it's easy to fall into the trap of the devil. Because when you talk to people that are facing sickness and disease, talk to them about the mercy of God, the question immediately comes to their mind, well, if God's merciful, why didn't he heal me? But I want you to see something about mercy. The mercy of God that's everlasting, from everlasting to everlasting is upon them that fear him. The mercy of God that endures forever. The mercy of God that healed the sick in Jesus' day. Beginning in verse 22, it says, And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast, Tyre and Sidon, And cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. She recognizes that deliverance is the mercy of God. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she cries after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In other words, he's saying, There's a reason why I can't be merciful to you. It's not time to show mercy unto the Gentiles. That will come after the resurrection. Then came she and worshipped him saying, Lord, help me. Now, folks, remember what we've just read. The mercy of the Lord is as high as the heaven is above the earth upon those that fear him. She's showing respect, reverence, what the Bible calls fear unto Jesus. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered her not a word. I'm sorry, but he answered and said, It is not me to take the children's bread, the deliverance or the healing that you're looking for, and to cast it to dogs, to Gentiles. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. She's not going to turn loose of her request for mercy. And Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. 
be it unto, e, be it unto thee, even as thou, ha, thou wilt. And, his, and her daughter was made whole from that very hour. I want you to notice something, folks. Even the mercy of God that endures forever must be triggered by faith. See, when you talk about mercy, so many times people look at it and say, well, okay, mercy means God can do anything. And even when we said and looked at the examples of where Jesus said to the leper, I will or I want to be thou clean. If God wants to heal me, why didn't he just do it? But it takes faith to access the mercy of God. Now, there's a difference. Well, let me look at a couple of other examples and then I'll make that statement. Turn with me now to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 46, and it said, And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. Everybody knows this guy. He's called by name. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace, but he cried the more a great deal, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called, and they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he cast away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? And the blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. Notice he's calling for mercy, and that mercy meant healing. And Jesus said unto him, go thy way, thy faith has made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Now here's the point I'm trying to make. In the ministry of Jesus, we'd have to conclude from the Bible principle, the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. That all the works that Jesus did, all the healings that Jesus performed, all the deliverances that Jesus enacted were due to the mercy of God. They weren't due to law. It wasn't because anybody deserved it. Because God wanted to heal people and set them free. That has to be the case for the Bible to be true, Right? But the majority of people that were healed in Jesus' ministry were healed by an act of their own faith. Almost 75% of them. Furthermore, the Bible gives us examples like when Jesus was in Nazareth, his, own, his uh, hometown, the town that he grew up in, of where unbelief kept him from doing any mighty work. Mark 6, 5 says, and he could there in Nazareth, he could there do no mighty work. It doesn't say he wouldn't. It says he couldn't. Save or accept that he laid his hands upon a few sickly folks, a few folks with minor ailments, and he healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. He marveled because of their unbelief. So we'd have to conclude that the unbelief of the people, in Nazareth at least, hindered the mercy of God from doing what God wanted to be done. There were no blind eyes opened in Nazareth. No crippled people that were healed in Nazareth. No cancers healed. No leprosies cleansed. Even though Jesus was sent to do those very works. Anointed of the Holy Ghost to do those works. He even preached in Nazareth, the Holy Ghost is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to do this stuff. He knows they've heard about him. Luke's account, Luke chapter 4's account says that Jesus responded to him saying, I know what you're going to say. What we've heard you do in Capernaum do here too. We've heard of the healings. We've heard of the miracles. So they've heard about them, but they wouldn't believe. And he could there in his own hometown of Nazareth do no mighty work. So the unbelief of the people hindered the mercy of God, which is as high as the heaven is above the earth and from everlasting to everlasting. So it's not a matter of mercy or faith. It's a matter of mercy and faith. Jonah chapter 2 and verse 8 tells us about when Jonah was in the belly of the fish, how he handled things. Jonah said this He said, They that observe lying vanities 
forsake their own mercies. Now let me interpret that for you. The lying vanity that he's referring to is the fish. The circumstance of his life. He's saying that those that allow the circumstances of surrounding them. To dictate and determine what they will believe. Forfeit. The mercy of God that would bring them the very deliverance that they want. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. A lot of people say things like, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God why he allowed this to happen to me. The reality is when they get to heaven, God's going to say, why did you forsake the mercy of God? Why did you forsake the mercy of God? And here's what I started to say a minute ago. The leper in Mark chapter 1 didn't know if it was the will of God to heal him. Jesus had to reveal to him. The centurion in Matthew chapter 8. That said speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. He didn't have something that he could take hold of. Until Jesus spoke the word. So the people in Jesus day were looking for God to do something. To reveal his mercy. When they had sufficient evidence that God was. Healing everybody through the ministry of Jesus. Everybody that came to him in faith at least. Then it gave them a foundation to believe for their own healing as well. And so multitudes were healed. But it's different for us. We're not looking for God to do anything. The Bible says by the stripes of Jesus we were healed. So mercy today doesn't mean God do something for me. Mercy today means, Father, I believe in what Jesus has already done. And I take hold of it by faith. By his stripes, you were healed. Turn with me to to, uh, Hebrews chapter 4. Let me prove this to you. Hebrews chapter 4. We'll start in verse 14. It says, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our profession. The word profession is the word confession. Hold fast to what you, what you proclaim. Hold fast to the words of your mouth. Keep speaking the word of God. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. The word or the phrase touched with the feeling of our infirmities is also translated to have compassion in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 34. For we have not a high priest which cannot which will not have compassion upon us in our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin, in other words. Let us therefore, since this is the case, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Yeah, that's what we want. Lord, please give us mercy. Please, Lord, give us mercy. Heal my body. Please give us mercy. That's not what the word obtain means. The word obtain means to take As in take hold of. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. That we may take the mercy. That's already been extended to us. Through the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. Take it. Don't beg for it. Take it. That's how you find grace. The finished work of Jesus. To help you in whatever your need is. Now how do we take it? Look to chapter 3 of Hebrews. Verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession. That word profession is the word confession, Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. The Father is our high priest. The Bible tells us that he's seated there to administer the mercy of God. How does he administer it? To those who take hold of it by the words of their mouth. To those that take hold of it by faith. As expressed by the words of their mouth. Lord said something to me this week. That I'm still trying to wrap my head around. I, I, I hear it. I accept it. I understand it in part. But I don't think I've really seen it in my spirit yet. He said this. He said Christians that are facing sickness and disease in their body. 
are not less healed than Christians who have a clear bill of health from the doctor. Then he said it this way. When the symptoms of sickness leave your body, you're not more healed than you were when the symptoms existed. Because healing came through the finished work of Jesus. Healing does not come and healing is not expressed and healing is not revealed. These are my words now, not his. But healing is not revealed through the departure of the symptoms of sickness. Does that make any sense? And that's the way so much of the church world judges things. We judge whether or not we're well or sick based on the symptoms that are taking place in our body. That may be the way the doctor judges things in doing his job. But that has no bearing on spiritual truth. That has no bearing on eternal truth. Then the Lord brought this to my attention as a way of explanation. You remember when Paul wrote to the church at Philippi and he told them to work out their own salvation? What does that phrase, work out your own salvation, mean? Well, it would have to mean to live up to who they are in Christ Jesus. That would mean that there were aspects of their Christian walk where they were living below the rights and privileges as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. There were things in their life they needed to correct. Paul wrote to the church and said, walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, if they weren't fulfilling the lust of the flesh in certain areas of their life, he wouldn't have had to tell them to walk in the spirit. Now notice what Paul did not say. Paul did not say get more saved. Paul did not say get more righteous because they were already righteous. They were already saved. But he's saying, as we've all experienced different areas in our own lives, that even though they were saved, even though we're made new creatures in Christ Jesus, even though we're made the righteousness of God in him, there are certain parts of our physical life, circumstances in our life, where that righteousness may not immediately show up. But when we do conquer those things and those circumstances of our life change, we didn't get more righteous. We didn't get more saved. It just manifested in our lifestyle. In the same way, the Christian who's experiencing the symptoms of sickness or disease in his body doesn't get more healed when those symptoms disappear. He was just as healed when the symptoms were there. Well then what are we to do? We're to recognize. That there are spiritual laws. That govern this world just like there are physical laws. And the spiritual law that governs this world is. Your words determine your circumstances. So for the person that's experienced the symptoms of sickness in their body. It is more important for them. To confess what the Bible says that they were healed by the stripes of Jesus. Than for the person that's not facing sickness or disease. Because their words. Their confession. Their profession. That they were healed by the stripes of Jesus 2,000 years ago. Is what Jesus uses as our high priest. At the right hand of the father. To administer the healing mercy of God to their bodies. That's the only difference. That's the only difference between the Christian that's facing sickness and the one that's not. That's the only difference. Consider the apostle and the high priest of our profession, our confession. What does Jesus have to work with? The words of your mouth. And in that way, we're coming to the throne of grace to obtain mercy 
to take hold of the mercy of God. Now, folks, there's a huge difference in that and somebody looking for God to do something to heal them. How would he do that? F.F. Bosworth, in his book, Christ the Healer, in his chapter on the Lord's compassion, which is where I got a lot of the notes from this morning, the last two Sunday mornings, actually, made this statement. He said, when you put yourself in a position where God can show his mercy without violating spiritual law, I think he called it the moral government of his creation. It works every time. How do we do that? By saying what God's word says. Now that seemingly small difference in attitude between something that you're looking for to happen as opposed to something that's already happened makes all the difference in the world. That's how the mercy of the Lord is enduring forever for you or will endure forever for you. When you begin to say what God's word says, we're following the same example in doing that. We're following the same example as we see time and time and time again in Jesus' ministry where people professed their faith or acted their faith. And Jesus said, according to your faith, be it done unto you. If that's the principle of God, which the Bible identifies it is, according to your faith, receive as much mercy of God as you can or as you will. It's from everlasting to everlasting. It's as high above the earth as, it's as, high, as heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward us who fear him. It's not mercy or faith. It's faith in his mercy. Can you see that? Folks, there's a spiritual law that will never change. That spiritual law is what you say from your heart, not based on circumstance, but what you say from your heart will come to pass in your life. So what do we say? I say I was healed by the stripes of Jesus. I say according to God's word, I'm healthy. I say, according to God's word, my body is healed and my body is well. Yeah, but you don't look like it. Well, I will someday. When? That's not my doing. That's up to him. But I tell you one thing about it. And this is something the Lord's really dealing with me about here lately too. I'm going to be that Mark chapter 1 leper. I'm going to blaze it abroad. I'm going to publish it in such a manner that nobody's going to have any question about the healing power of God. Now, don't get me wrong. God's done a lot of things to sustain me. Paul talked about being a public spectacle. He said, he, he said I think apostles are set forth as last in this regard. We're made a public spectacle. So that everybody sees what happens to us. Well what did they see in him? They saw a lot of suffering. They saw a lot of hardships. They saw a lot of mistreatment. They saw a lot of victory too. I believe God wants our victories to be seen and known. So that we can proclaim. With the loudest voice possible. The mercy of the Lord endures forever. But what about for you? Does the mercy of the Lord endure towards you? Great is his mercy toward them that fear him. That's us. That's us. Whatever we need, the finished work of Jesus is sufficient. So let's take it by faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that your word is true. We thank you, Father, that your mercy endures forever. Lord, we take hold of the mercy of God 
according to our needs. We declare that Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And with his stripes we're healed. No matter what it looks like, no matter how we feel, no matter what the doctors diagnosed. We say that the word of God is true. Now, Jesus, you said if we would say with our heart or believe in our heart and say with our mouths and not turn back on our profession, that we'd have whatever we said. So we thank you for healing. We thank you for restoration. We thank you that we're free from sickness and disease in Jesus' name. And Lord, we know that this works in every area. Works in the area of provision. Jesus had compassion on the multitude and multiplied the loaves and the fishes to feed and provide for them. So we say Jesus bore the punishment, the chastisement of our peace. And as such, he was made poor for our sakes that we through his poverty might be made rich. Regardless of what our physical needs might be, Father, financial needs, we declare that we're rich by the finished work of Jesus. We call our needs met according to your riches and glory. Because we're in him, we'll never go hungry, we'll never do without. You're working supernaturally, even miraculously if necessary, to provide for every need to be met. We say that Jesus is our peace. We refuse to allow worry, anxiety, or depression to have any place in us because Jesus is our peace and we're in him. We say, Father, that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It may not look like it and we may be stumbling over sin, <clears throat> but we declare what your word says. We say that we are righteous in your sight. We say that there is no sin, no habit, no addiction that has control over us because we're in Christ Jesus. We say that we're free because Jesus said, whom the Son sets free is free in every respect. So we declare, Father, in Jesus' name, that we are the healed, the provided for, the peaceful, and the righteous people of God. Thank you, Father, that your word is true and that there is no circumstance, no material thing, no sickness, no aspect of poverty, no problem, no sin that can stand against the truth of your word. You sent your word and healed us. You sent your word and provided for us. You sent your word to bring us peace. We thank you that the word of God is working mightily in us to affect all of these things in every area of our lives. In Jesus' precious and holy name. Can you agree with that prayer? Amen. 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 When the devil tries to tell you that you're not going to get your healing or you're not going to get your needs met or you're not going to have your peace or whatever the case might be, whatever you're facing, that's the time to start laughing at the devil because you're not trying to get it. You're not trying to get healed. You're not trying to be provided for. That's already been done. And by the mercy of God, we just take hold of it by faith through the words of our mouth. Don't let the devil tell you that you're not going to get something because Jesus already got it. And he got it for you. There's nothing to get. Just something to accept. Amen? Let's all stand together. Thank God for the mercy of the Lord that endures forever. Let's say that. For the Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. For the Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. Say it this way. For the Lord is good to me, 
and his mercy to me endures forever. Thank you, Father, that your mercy covers everything I need and that your mercy is mine now. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God wants you well more than you want to be well. He's made a way for you to have it. He wants you to be provided for more than you want him to provide for you. He's he's made a way for it to happen. There's no greater force in the universe than the word of God. And when you speak the word of God, it changes things. In you and around you. And for you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, that your mercy endures forever. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you. Come on back tonight and be with us at the Healing School if you can. You're dismissed.